It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be discussing Fulham's 2-0 victory over Leeds United in the fifth round of the FA Cup as we booked our place in the final eight for the first time since 2010 via two magnificent goals, one from João Polina and Manuel Solomon hit copy and paste on his goal from Friday, bending it in the bottom corner to seal the victory. We rode our luck at times, but we came away with the clean sheet and that valuable place in the latter stages of the competition. By Peter Rutzler's definition, it is a cup run. Uh, we'll also be previewing Monday night's game against Brentford at the GTEC or Legoland or whatever you want to call it. And we've got some emails and then this will catch on at the end. I'm joined by the regular Thursday club, Jack Collins. Hello. Hello. How are you doing, Sammy? Good, thank you. We're going to win the cup. Peter Rutzler, hello. Hello. How are we? Been good? Yeah, good, thank you. Um, a nice win last night and um, yeah, all around. Can't have uh, too many complaints, although no. we will have a few complaints about last night, um, but we'll come on to that uh, a little bit later. Let's focus um, on the three word reviews, first of all, before we focus on the football. Jack, what were your favourite ones? What were the best ones that came in? Absolute stampede of things regarding Manor Solomon, as you might expect, but there were some, yep. some really fun ones. Uh, I enjoyed Chad Paris's copy paste Solomon, uh, which I thought was which was nice. And then you know we had we had a couple of different things. Jakob Krupa with Cottage becomes Manor, which I thought was excellent, and yeah. Ethan McLernan with Manners maketh match, which was there was there a couple of that kind of ilk. But I thought match rather than man was was very very smart. Um, there there was some I, I liked some of the kind of more random ones. There was John Brooker's. Gracia wasn't greenier, which really, really made me laugh last night when I saw that one come in. <laughs> Genuinely Very just good. brilliant. Drew Healy, one of our own with Marching Out Alone. Uh, Chris Lewis <laughs> gave us priced out progression. And Sean Guagena said two worldies apart, which I thought was very, very smart. But I think the best of the bunch came from Rich Campbell, who said peaches and ream. Very good. All right, well done, let's everyone. get on to the uh, let's get on to the match last night. And Peter, uh, exactly what the doctor ordered: two nil progression to the cup. No extra time or penalties nonsense. Um, and and yeah, I, I mean, it was two worldies that won it. It's weird because I think that Leeds had the better chances in the game, and you can see um, from your article that Leeds's expected goals was was far higher than Fulham's, but. Fulham, I, I was never too worried that we weren't going to win it, especially when Zhao put us in the lead. But yeah, we did ride our luck a bit last night and Tuna was a little bit flattering, but we'll take it. Yeah, it's actually interesting. It's interesting you pulled up straight away about the XG. Um, I think Fulham had 0.2, which basically is a number for those who, who hate stats, but um, it basically tells you that the quality of a, a chance is created um, and Leeds had 1.44. Um, and it's it's an interesting topic with Fulham anyway, because this season Fulham have been overperforming their numbers with XG. So people say, oh, but the underlying numbers, they'll regress to the mean at some point. Um, basically, they should have conceded more goals. They should have scored fewer goals. Um, but they only tell you half the story. And I think last night was actually quite a nice way of illustrating that, um, that Fulham do have a lot of quality. Um, in both boxes, of course, we've talked about Bernd Leno being being excellent at one end. Um, and then also in the final third as well. Um, and, and fundamentally, that was the difference I felt um, in last night's game was just the quality on display. And, and part of that is, you know, the confidence that Fulham's players are showing. Paulinho instinctively winning the ball back and then deciding it was the right option to shoot from 30 yards and backing himself to doing it to do it and then pulling it off. Um, and then also, you know, Manuel Solomon, who's 
just growing and growing with every game now. Um, I really such an exciting player to watch his ability to go past people, but and also now a trademark Ian Robin style cut in from the opposite side um, to bend one into the far corner. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's the that was the key difference. I felt Leeds Leeds counted well, and I think there are some. You know, there are some sort of concerns in terms of performance, the fact that they were able to create so many chances, but they were really blunt. They didn't have that quality in the final third, um, whereas, whereas Fulham did and scored two fantastic goals. I know there was that really soft foul, um, the sort of Leeds goal disallowed, and maybe it would have been a different contest if that had been uh, if that had stood. But at the end of the day, Fulham, Fulham just have that ability in their ranks. And I think that's... A combination of good coaching, good recruitment, and when it that all comes together, you you get nights like this, and and you know dreaming of Wembley. Yeah, really dreaming of Wembley now. Uh, interesting to see what that uh, quarterfinal draw is going to be. By the time you listen to this, you'll know what that cup final draw is. It's on uh, it's on Wednesday night. Um, Jack, uh, I think Peter's right that whilst I couldn't think of another chance that Fulham made last night, I also just maybe just had an air of confidence that we were going to find the back of the net. But as Peter mentioned, that very soft foul that denied the Leeds goal early on hugely went in our favour. I think that it wasn't a VAR decision because it was obviously made by the referee on the pitch. I don't think VAR would have... It was also uh, the whistle had gone before the ball was in the back of the net. So I I believe that plays a part. Yes. Okay. We we got away with one, but it was the referee's call. This This wasn't a VAR thing. Yeah, we did. We did go away with one. I, I, I can't see it as a foul. Alan Shearer seemed to think it was, which was a bit strange on the commentary. But um, Jermaine Beckford, obviously, with his, his Leeds links, was going absolutely mental at half time, saying it was never <laughs> a foul. They didn't address the fact that up the other end, I think that it's a foul on Mitrovic by Robin Cock, who has his arm mm. around his neck as he pulls Mitrovic to the floor. It's soft, and it's the kind of decision that Alexander Mitrovic never gets. We should make this clear. But... I think that's a foul. So I think in some ways that kind of evens itself out across the course of the half. Although, yeah. Maybe, um, but the thing with the Mitrovic one is Mitrovic has got his hand on Cock's shirt. If you if you watch it, you turn around, he's actually pulling Cock down. He does have his arm around his neck, so I'm not going to, I don't dispute it could have been given, but. Yeah. We also have is a 25% it, success record from the penalty spot. So it's about like, it's like, it's like getting a freaking outside the box as far as Fulham is concerned. I, I think that um, that's probably generous if I'm perfectly honest. But anyway, the point yeah. being that obviously decisions swing in, in these kind of kind of games and, and that's the way it goes sometimes. And I think that generally Fulham controlled it quite well up to the sort of last 10, 15 minutes. That was the only point where I really thought that Fulham were under the cosh and giving up lots of opportunities. And I think something that matters at this point, and, and Peter, I know, will be the first to agree with this, is that XG, et cetera, et cetera, those kind of stats about the way things play are really influenced by game state. And the fact that Fulham were 2-0 up, it was a game that Leeds had to basically throw everything at to try and see if they could get one and then maybe nick another late on means that Fulham were like relatively comfortable in the idea of sitting back in. Now, we didn't defend well. I'm, that, that bit's not up for debate. The, f- the fact is that Fulham got ourselves into a chaotic muddle at the back a lot of times. It wasn't Marit Rodak's best day at the office. I feel a bit harsh criticising him in that obviously he gets dropped in for these one-off games in the middle of not playing for long, long spells. But... He didn't look confident. He didn't catch anything. He kept pushing the ball back into dangerous areas, which wasn't great. And I think a lot of that XG would have been toted up towards the end of the game by Leeds in terms of, you know, these are the last 10 minutes and they're throwing everything to try and get a goal. That can happen sometimes. And it's important to just kind of realise that when you do look at these kind of games, the numbers are often affected by the way that it's played out. And, And especially in a cup game where they know that there's no... You know, at 2-0 down in a league game, if you throw everything forward and you lose by four, then, you know, that can affect your goal difference, et cetera, et cetera, where you end up in the table. Whereas in a cup game at 2-0 down, it's like, why not? We may as well have a go. So so there's yeah. definitely that element of things that, that needs to be considered. But yeah, overall, aside from those last 10 minutes, I thought it was a really impressive performance. I thought that we knocked the ball around really, really nicely at times, that we opened leads up with those kind of wide diagonals that we've talked about here a couple of times really, really nicely. There were some kind of fleeting cameo moments. I thought that Harry Wilson 
still isn't at his best, but we're starting to see progression and improvement in his game again, yeah. which is really, really nice. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it was a good performance, I think, generally. And the little wobble at the end will maybe cloud things a tad. But ultimately, Fulham did exactly what they needed to do. And, and as you said, from the moment we went 1-0 up, I was relatively comfortable with, with pretty much all of it. Yeah, and actually, I just think Fulham had some openings that we didn't quite take advantage of as well. Didn't quite make the chances. I loved seeing Mitrovic back in the team. I, 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 his just all-round play, what he brings to the side. And um, Peter, it was returned sometimes of those sweeping passes. Mitrovic out to Harry Wilson on the right. So that was a f- few moments of joy there. It's like a heat seeker from Mitrovic's boot, just straight in front of Harry Wilson. It's um, It was nice to kind of reminisce because we've not really seen that at all um, so far this season. Um, let's just have a, a moment to just um, applaud the two strikes um marco wouldn't be drawn on uh, which was his favorite goal um peter uh, a little bit like asking to choose between his two favorite children um which was yours was it mana or was it jao polinia both are just sensational in their own different ways Ooh. your marco couldn't decide because he didn't see polinia's goal because he was moaning at the fourth official um, <laughs> um probably polinia's um it, it, because we've seen Solomon's already. <laughs> um, which feels a bit harsh because Solomon's is brilliant. Um, but no, Palina's goal, just because of the the fact that he tackles someone in the build-up to it and then whips one in the top corner. Um, that combination, just a you know, bit of, bit of everything he can do. Um, but also the fact it was instant, that sort of instinctive reaction to just shoot. Um, takes one look, knows the keeper's off his line. And then arrows it perfectly. I think even if if Melier is a couple yards deeper than he than he was, I think he's in trouble with that effort because it, it gets some fantastic bend on it. It kisses the um, host, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it's 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 a dream of a hit. Um, uh, and and he's got that because obviously he scored a similar goal against Nottingham Forest, a lot closer to goal, first time hit, but again a sort of an instinctive strike. Um, we've seen that he can switch the ball really well, and it, it did feel like a really well hit pass into the top corner <laughs> as well. So, um, and yeah, I think he, he seems to, he, he does produce good performances when the, when the TV cameras are on as well, which is, which is good. Uh, maybe not so much for capturing the eye of everyone else uh, watching from home, but yeah. Um, uh, yeah, a fabulous strike from, from both and a goal of uh, immense quality and just another element to his game that, that has made him the irreplaceable figure that he is. Yeah. Um, Jack, we've seen this goal before, but it's an upgraded version. Danny Murphy against Manchester United um, mm. when we won 2-0. Robs Paul Scholes in midfield and um, puts it and then kind of from about 25, 30 yards, smashes it into the bottom corner. Um, I think, I'm trying to think who the goalie was that day. Might have been Van der Sar. Might I remember. Been. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But um, it was at the Putney end as well, and it put us 1-0 in the lead. And so I think the Schiaupolino goal is an upgraded version of that kind of iconic uh, Murphy goal against United uh, back in the glory days. The say, same season as the last time that we uh, reached the quarterfinals as well, which is apt. Um, Jack, I, I think, uh, as you said, that last 10 minutes was a little bit chaotic. Um, and there was just a lot of different players all over the pitch as well. We saw Sasa Lukic and Cedric Suarez um, coming into the side. Obviously, like Polini got taken off, Mitrovic got taken off. So I think there's an element of Fulham's rotation also caused some of the panic towards the end. And actually, Marcus Silva managed to mostly rectify it with those substitutions. The first team is he brought on with 10 minutes to go. He brought on Harrison Reed. That was really important. Also, just like Dekadova Reed and Willian also came on and just were able to keep the ball a little bit better. I think that's a, a massive caveat for yesterday is like one Marit Rodak didn't have his greatest game, but also there was a lot of new faces on the pitch. So to get away with keeping a clean sheet and everything that happened, despite Fulham also managing to give players minutes that needed minutes, uh, um, you know, has to be factored in and has to be applauded that we managed to come through it. Yeah, definitely. I, I think when you, when you look at it across the board, it's been an impressive kind of cameo from most of the debutants, I thought Cedric did pretty well. Obviously, Sasha Lukic came in. There's still an element of ring rust, I think, about some of his passing. But generally, I, I thought he he holds well. There was a there was a really good point 
made to me uh, by Joe Kenny on Twitter, who said, Lukic, forgetting that he's playing centre midfield at times late on. And it was during that spell where Brendan Aronson was running riot and he was pressing and he was leading the press. And I was like, right, you don't, you don't need to do that, my guy. Maybe maybe you don't lead the press. You, you just sort of sit in a little bit. But once Harrison Reed came on, it come to calm, he seemed to calm down a little bit, I think. And, th- and that was nice as well. It was important to get them reps together, I think, generally, considering the fact that they are almost certainly going to be starting pair against Brentford on Monday. So for them to get even 20 minutes together at the end of this game, able to just sort of work out a little bit of each other's intricacies in how they're playing, um, I, I thought that was a good thing. And, and yeah, you're absolutely right in terms of just calming it down a little bit at the end. But Fulham, generally, I thought very, very good. Most, you know, I don't think anyone had a particularly poor game. I think Rodak was probably the one who who showed himself up a little bit. But generally, I thought that everyone worked hard and did well. And that, that's got to be applauded. And ultimately, we've come away with exactly what we were looking for out of this game. Peter, I'm just a bit... Um... Was surprised to see Mitro start. That that injury seems to have gone from oh he's going to be out for several weeks to suddenly he's starting in zero to a hundred. Um, and he and he looked sharp, fit. He I mean obviously he did come off after sixty five minutes. It was such a shame that um that goal he was offside and he was quite considerably offside. But I'm hoping that even just scoring that disallowed goal might just make him think you know get the kind of rhythm back a little bit the feeling of it leaving your head hitting the back of the net crowd celebrating even though yes it was disallowed in the end I don't know there was something about Mitrovic last night where I thought I think Mitrovic might be back here I, I think it was just the fact that he's so important to the way Fulham play. It just, everything felt more fluent when Fulham were on the ball. And I think the most noticeable thing is just how deep he drops in possession. Just drops deep, plays a one-two, players moving around him. The question that asks of opposition central defenders, do they go with him, how to how to deal with him? Um, and you're right, I, th- I think he looked sharp. I don't think there was a sense of it going from zero to 100. It was always a, a sort of a minor hamstring issue where you, you kind of have to be careful how you manage it so it doesn't get worse. Um, I think I think initially when after the missed the Brighton game, Silver said he thought it, it would be difficult for the Wolves game, but and it might just be for Leeds, and that's actually how it panned out ultimately. So I, I think the fact that he looks sharp, he's clearly he's clearly not ham- hampered him this period out of the team. Um, and as I say, it's when he is in the team, Fulham are a different beast. Um, of course, he wants that goal, and I think you know he needs a goal on the stands, really, doesn't he? He needs just every striker is the same; they want they want goals constantly, just to keep ticking over to to maintain that feeling of invincibility. But I think as long as it's hammered home to him how valuable his his on the ball stuff is in terms of the 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 setup that Fulham play, um, then that's 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 worth far more because it just, the space it creates it. I mean, you get Palina with that space to shoot. You have Solomon playing a one, two with Mitrovic to score. I mean, it's not a coincidence really. And I think that's the one thing that with Carlos Vinicius, he needs to improve on and to adapt and add to his game. Um, you know, we talked about his hold up play a bit, but just being able to move and create those overloads in the middle and just allow others more space. Um, that's, that's the difference. And that's, that's why Mitrovic is a, an elite, elite player because he can do that. So um, if he's back, fit, good to see him get those minutes. No, no real issues. It seems um, a huge boost for the, for the Brentford game. Yeah. hundred percent. And uh, great to see him back. I guess also having six days rest before the Brentford game probably was, was a massive factor in that as well. I think if the Brentford game was still on the Saturday, I wonder if, if Mitrovic might've been, um, given maybe a a place on the bench and then coming on. But I think effectively it's a full week, isn't it? Uh, Until that Brentford game now, which uh, gave Marcus Silva a lot more options, I think last night with, uh, with his selection and gave him kind of full flexibility. Whereas he might've been saving legs if he had just uh, the standard three or four game uh, days between games that he normally would have had. Um, A word on the atmosphere and the tickets last night. Um, I mean, I guess I can take most of this. Um, I mean, it was, pretty 
shoddy. It wasn't maybe as bad as, as people might have expected. Um, there were big empty spaces, particularly in the Hammersmith end, but also in the Johnny Haynes, kind of either end were very, very empty. Uh, the Riverside, where I sat last night, certainly felt um, pretty full. Obviously, it's hard to tell when you're in the stand um, exactly how full it is. But uh, yeah, 19,000, Jack. It means there's 6,000 empty seats. Leeds did mostly sell out. There was a couple of empty spots in the Leeds end, which says a lot in itself. Um, but when you consider that's about eight or 9,000 fewer Fulham fans in attendance um, than your average league game, I think it uh, it says a lot. And, and Marco, in his pre-match press conference, I mean, he didn't go the full way of criticising it, but he did say that, you know, he wants sellouts and it helps the team and stuff like that. So... I think uh, I think a message has certainly been sent, and uh, if we get a home draw in the in the quarterfinals, it will be fascinating to see what they do. I mean, I didn't go last night. I felt that I couldn't justify sticking that on a ticket. I would have loved to have been there, but and that, again, that's no slight on anyone that did go. It's just my personal opinion, um, and and therefore, uh, you know, I hope that next time we look at it and it's more reasonable and and there'll be plenty of people who say, you know, if those two goals are worth the ticket price alone. I'm I'm not sure that's the point. As far as I'm concerned, the point is, you know, that I don't think that Fulham should be pricing out football fans in cup games, you know, where they have an opportunity to bring in a new generation, especially with the club doing really, really well this season. There are going to be people and young kids around the area who will look at the, you know, match of the day and look at the Premier League table and go, Fulham are there. They, they're around the corner from us. You know, we should be looking to make it make the most of those kind of moments and attract a new generation of fans. And I will stand by that forever. So that that's where I'm at with it. I can understand the, the logic of, of all the arguments. And again, there's no slights on anybody, whether they decided to go or not. But that's that's where I stand. And I, I hope the club will have taken a look at that and thought, OK, we've maybe overstepped the mark here a little bit. Yeah, 100%. It was, um, I certainly for the first 15, 20 minutes was pretty annoyed about it. It doesn't help when you have... 6,000 Leeds fans behind the goal, making a lot of noise as they always do. They were well supported and it felt like Fulham fans kind of had one hand tied behind their back with all those empty seats and stuff trying to make an atmosphere. In the end, it was, you know, second half was quite good and stuff. The performance on the pitch helped, but, you know, it could have been a, it could have been an even more special evening, I think, if that was a sold out packed Craven Cottage. And um, it is a huge disappointment, really, that the club would kind of look to shoot themselves in the foot a little bit, but, and only look at the financials and not the, the kind of wider picture. But anyway, we've done it to death and let's see where they go from here. And just as a quick insert to the end of part one, it's Thursday morning. And whilst when we chatted about the FA Cup, then we had no idea who we might get in the quarterfinals. We now know it's going to be Manchester United away at Old Trafford. Um, there was a real... <laughs> collective groan no doubt across all Fulham fans around the world when uh, when Fulham got drawn out of the hat by Alan Shearer thank you very much uh, we had avoided Man City away on the the first ball which was a, a big relief and then the only other team really worth avoiding uh, in the last eight and we got drawn against them away from home uh, yeah not ideal at all um, the match is almost certainly going to be on Sunday the 19th of March um, they haven't announced the telly picks yet, but Man United play Real Batiste away on the Thursday in the Europa League. So it is almost certainly going to be Sunday. There's not going to be any Monday matches because it's the international break. So yeah, not ideal at all. I guess though, my feeling of it is if you want to win the FA Cup at some point, you have to beat a big team. You cannot and maybe there's a team in history that have done it, but I don't think you can win an FA Cup most years without beating one of the big hitters. So expecting us to glide our way to the final by beating championship and struggling Premier League opposition was probably a little bit fanciful. I guess it's a shame just because we're one win away from Wembley and a day out, even just for the semi-finals, would have been fantastic. So for it to be made... A lot less likely at this stage is obviously pretty gutting when there was four EFL teams that we could have chosen. Um, there was also Brighton, which would have been a tough game, but certainly preferable to this one. Hopefully, though, we can take advantage of United playing so many games. Jao Polina uh, will be back for this quarterfinal, which will be huge from us. And look, they've been on amazing form recently, United. But I think even West Ham showed last night that they are a little bit gettable. 
And I think they were a bit lucky to come through it last night. You know, I think West Ham just realised how to defend set pieces. I think it could have been a very, very different outcome. So we'll go up there in hope rather than expectation. But yet it's not the ideal uh, FA Cup quarterfinal draw by by any stretch, particularly when the competition is so open. But looks like if we're going to have to win the cup, we're probably going to have to do it the hard way. We'll look back at it fondly if we do get through. Uh, that'll do for part one. In part two, we'll preview Monday night's trip to Brentford. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack and Peter. Let's look ahead then to Monday night's game against Brentford at the GTEC Community Stadium or Legoland or whatever you want to call it. Our first trip there with fans... Uh, we did play them during lockdown. We lost in the Carabao Cup. That wasn't a very fun evening, but we won the one that mattered in the playoff final. Let's be honest, lads. Um, I mean, Brentford, Jack, are doing well. I mean, look, they're 11 unbeaten in the league. They are on a really, really good run. There have been a lot of draws within that run, but still Brentford once again showing that their model works, that Thomas Frank is a good manager, they have got a good team and it is going to be a tough old game, particularly without Jao Polina as well, who's going to be suspended. But Mitrovic back could be uh, a huge boost. Um, yeah, I mean, what's, this could really be the cherry on top of the season if we can go to there and, uh, and nick a win. How much they'd hate that as well if we, uh, if we did go to, to their ground and, uh, and nick a win. That would be glorious. Yeah, absolutely. Look, they're, they're on flying form and, you know, begrudging credit needs to be given where it's due. Uh, there have been some major results in this 11 run. Like the first, the last time they lost was in the league was October, which is pretty mad <laughs> when you keep all things considered, isn't it? Wow. Um, in that time, they've beaten Man City. They've drawn with Tottenham. They've beaten Liverpool. They've drawn with Arsenal. It, it's... It's a very, very impressive slate of form and it needs to be given the credit is due. That said, and you know, when you're, you know, you mentioned it kind of there, there's been a lot of results there where they'll look at it and go, I don't know. I don't know how we haven't won that. You know, Palace at home, you're looking at these kind of results, the, the Nottingham Forest game away, where I think that Forest scored an equalizer in like the 99th minute. Uh, you, you know, that Palace game, Brentford were very lucky to take a point out of, if we're being perfectly honest. And there'll be plenty of people sitting here going, they shouldn't have drawn with Arsenal because their goals shouldn't have counted. But I thought they were really, really impressive at the Emirates, if I'm being perfectly honest. This is where we're at, right? You're looking at all of these games and thinking, okay, some of these are really, really impressive performances and really impressive wins. Some of them are far less impressive, and yet they found a way to, to if not win, then to not lose. And that's something we've given cre major credit to Fulham for this season, finding a way even when we're not you know, doing particularly well, just making sure hard to beat, hard to break down, and finding the right opportunities for players to exploit. And it's been much the same. I think from Brentford, you look at this centre-back partnership of, of Pinnock and Mee, which has been really impressive. Ben Mee's obviously stepped in after signing in the summer and, and and been absolutely excellent, to be perfectly honest with you. Hickey and Henry are very, very good full-backs. Um, and then up front, they will still have Ivan Tony, even though he admitted to loads of betting charges yesterday. I don't think there's going to be a hearing for that until April. Uh, we know all about 
this side, right? We we know what they're capable of. That midfield of, of Norgard and Jensen as a base is really quite solid. And Josh De Silva has the ability to turn games when he's when he's on form and he's been much better since returning from that injury. So a lot of talent, a lot of really good players here. Uh, and they're a well-drilled, well-coached unit. And this is going to be incredibly difficult. But it was going to be incredibly difficult when they came to the cottage and we managed it that day. So there, there's plenty to to kind of be optimistic about as well them being in excellent form doesn't mean that we aren't and we're confident and capable in our own abilities right now and that's a nice place to be I think it's gonna be a really good game yeah Peter this Brentford side just look like it's barely changed for years now like okay there's a couple of new players in there the likes of Ben Mee and stuff but the rest of it you still got Buemo you still got Tony still got Josh De Silva Rico Henry's been there for years David Ray has been in goal for a while this is a really settled team that's come up all the way from the championship and hasn't actually changed too much I'd say Fulham's side has changed more in the last few years than, than Brentford's has even from last season I'd say there's been more changes between Fulham and Brentford's side it is impressive how they still managed to kind of get results even with the same core group that was with them in the championship yeah and actually to be honest I think there's a there's a parallel there for how Fulham has sort of followed suit in that you know the team that's won Fulham the championship is is definitely formed the basis of this team that we're seeing now and you know that it's testament to the players that Brentford recruited and 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 have held on to and developed that they're still punching well above their weight in in the top flight now um but there's there's something there for for Fulham to follow and you know they've clearly you know but we don't want to go on too much about it but you know Brentford's model has been very very effective they brought in good players that with a clear trajectory for how they're developing they've done the same again in the summer it's similar really in in the Brighton scope of of how to manage a club and, and and move them up the table efficiently without causing too much disruption um I guess there was the concern I think at the end of last year about Ericsson and Ericsson going and how they would adapt to that it hasn't really affected them much at all I, I remember when we were talking at the start of the season I thought well maybe maybe Brentford might might struggle a little bit more this year considering how much of an influence he had and that's just not really been the case um you know they still I think they brought in King Lewis Potter haven't they he's still working his way into becoming more regular but he'll be a longer term player Aaron Hickey's come in and done quite well there's Damsgaard uh, aside from that, they've just made piecemeal additions and, and, and improved themselves. Um, and I think Jack's right. I think it's, it's going to be a really interesting game, going to be a really tight game. I think Fulham have done well to kind of jump up the ladder, like one or two steps, I think, to be where they are now. And I mean, that was definitely relevant against um, Brighton in that Brighton have had six years in the Premier League. But Brentford, of course, have that extra year on and, and, and that progression which is evident. Um, I think if they do lose Tony, that's a massive, massive blow in the same way that he, that, that how Fulham can be affected by, by losing Mitrovic. Um, but as you, as you say, that doesn't look, that won't be the case for, for, for Monday night. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's funny really how Brentford and Fulham tend to always seem to be fighting for the same things. Um, a, a real pattern over the last be, decade. No, no, but I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's credit to Fulham to have, lifted themselves into a position to be fighting for this top seven spot in the same way that Brentford are, um, having had that extra year in the top flight. Um, but then you've got the playoffs and promotion and survival. It's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you can't avoid them. I don't think guys, they're, they're, they're here to stay and to, to, to uh, stay on the patch, I think. Yeah. We won the Peter but- Ratzler tussle though, when it mattered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, thanks Joe Bryan, the Joe exactly. Bryan moment. Yeah. Um, Jack, I mean, uh, the game early this season, I, I think back to it with with almost kind of slight nightmares in a way, because I remember thinking at the time, like, how have we won this? Brentford was so impressive in that second half, created so many chances, but it was just a, a moment of magic at the end from Mitrovic that, uh, that won us the game. But yeah. And Kevin Mbappé. Yeah, Mbappé's finest M- moment. Let's not forget it. Yeah, no, what a cross that was um, to, to break Brentford hearts. But I mean, this is just going to be a, a quite an exciting game. Can see fully why Sky have gone for this as uh, as a TV selection. I know we all said that Brighton Fulham might be a good game and it didn't turn out to be that much, that entertaining for the neutral. But yeah, this should be, especially on the basis of that game in August, um, a great tussle for the, uh, for the neutral and uh, a derby that I imagine the Premier League neutrals aren't too aware of 
Yeah, exactly, exactly, and it's going to be be interesting to see what the build up is like and and how much they emphasis they put on it. Uh, obviously, we've we've been on the the TV against Chelsea of late, and that's worked out for us. So fingers crossed, we can we can do another another job in West London and just establish. Just, I think you know when we're talking about these European places, and I know I've kind of gone on about April and whether if we're at the end of March, we're still in the in the pack, if you will, trying to make make these things happen, then that's great. I think these kind of games you look at and you go, right, this is it. They are what? Four points behind us with two games in hand, I think, off the top of my head. So this is the kind of thing that you go, right, well, if if they if they do have these two games in hand, they're four points behind us. A draw probably keeps Fulham in the in the tussle. A win elevates Fulham into control, I think, for this seventh spot tussle. And a loss puts everything right back up in the air again. And obviously that, and when that Tony decision comes through, that's going to make a difference. Obviously, uh, you know, later on in the season, it's not going to make a difference in this game. But it's the kind of game that if you win this, you can be like, we are now in, you know, we're in pole in terms of getting that seventh spot, I think. And I still think that seventh is the is the one. I still think that's the spot that, that's going to be up for grabs. So when you're kind of in these discussions and you're looking at it and, and working these things out, it's a massive game in in that regard as well as being a local derby and uh, and a big old tussle for West London pride. It's it's kind of one of those that actually has quite a lot riding on it, I think, generally in, in terms of how this season pays out. Yeah, and it's strange looking at the fixture list as well because in the time that Fulham have played two matches, we played obviously uh, the weekend against Wolves and then we played in the Cup. Uh, Brentford haven't had a match. They didn't play um, last weekend because I think they were, they were meant to play Man United. United. Yeah, in the uh, who are obviously in the Carabao Cup final, so they've had a big rest. Who knows whether that's an advantage? Really, Fulham has still got plenty of recovery time—six days um, for this match. I don't think it will come into it. It could have had the game remained on Saturday. I think that could have been a huge factor in it. But I think Fulham have got plenty of uh, time to to recuperate for for this game. Um, Jack, um, I've never been to the uh, to the G Tech. I know you have not to watch Brentford, but you've uh, been to watch uh, London Irish there. Indeed, uh, quite a lot. What is the uh, what is the day out like at the uh, at the G Tech? Where do you go? Where where where's where's best? Well, the good news is that the Guinness in the stadium is pretty good because London Irish play there, so that's that's a major advantage. Um, look, it's it's a modern new build stadium it does what it says on the tin in so many ways and there's plenty that you can criticize about these bits you know about the the way that it's designed the whatever you want but ultimately it works quite well or has always worked quite well when i've been at london irish now obviously you don't sit in the same segment as you will the fulham away fans will be in so i I don't know if that changes but just generally i think it's a pretty well designed ground and and it does a job now whether it's lacks any soul of its predecessor then that's a question that can be asked but you couldn't get a pint at griffin park so that's an advantage for away fans to begin with um generally i think the pubs around Cubridge station tend to be relatively brentford heavy um the globe is their main pub which is a little bit more towards south healing um there's a couple of nice pubs on the river uh one of the eight i think is brentford only but the bell and crown shouldn't be there's you know, some some decent pubs down there and it's a relatively easy place to get to. Um, if you go to Gunsbury Station, you can walk to it. You can go to Kew Bridge Station, you can walk to it. Connolly's on Chiswick High Road is probably just about in walking distance, 25 minutes from there. So, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of pubs around, there's plenty of boozers. Um, how many of them are going to be home fans only on, on match day? I'm sort of still trying to work out uh, to my best knowledge, but I think it will probably be fine. And yeah, as a, as a fan experience, I've never really seen any problems with it. It has multicolored seats, so you can never tell if it's full or empty, but generally it's just in terms of amenities and how it works, it's, it's relatively well put together. So they can have the credit for that one, I suppose. Yeah, I've just got flashbacks to the, uh, I've only, I only went twice to Griffin Park, both times defeats. Um, so uh, I'm just hoping that third time lucky uh, going to uh, Brentford away. I wasn't at that that magic tuna win when Kearney scored. Hopefully it's a, a little bit more life. like that. Um, that was an amazing yeah. night, that was. 
I know. I remember being gutted not to be able to go to that game. And then I just decided to go to the one where uh, I think they only won 1-0, didn't they, in the uh, in the Slav season when we did eventually get promoted. But they battered us. It should have been about 5-0. It was um, a bit of a disgrace, really. Don't lose. This is it, isn't it? Don't lose this game. <laughs> this is the game you don't lose. I, you want to be at Chelsea, you want to not lose to Brentford. That's always been, always been my line. And I think will always be my line. I know we've mentioned it already, but the missing Palina feels absolutely massive for this, um, particularly considering the way Brentford play. Um, and also just even, even, and Jack touched on it earlier about the midfield against Leeds, it just felt more open. And I, I, I put that down to missing Harrison Reed quite a bit. I think he's, is sort of the ground he covers can be sort of lost a little bit and just sort of accepted something that he does and is very good at. I think Lukic will benefit from that. I feel like Lukic's introduction at this point for 90 minutes in the league, I'd imagine they wouldn't want to have done it so soon. I feel like he still needs that sort of adaptation time, like um, just to get up to speed because, you know, Jack will know better than me on this, so I'll be careful what I say. But the tempo in Serie A is not quite the same as the Premier League in terms of intensity. Um, And he also had a slight hamstring issue before he signed. I think... I think the Leeds game was his first start for over a month. Um, and so now he's going to be thrown into a derby and then Arsenal. So it's going to be, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough in midfield in particular. And considering the impact that Polina has had, changing the whole dynamic of Fulham's midfield, the, 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 his tackles and, and everything else that he brings, I just, it'll be, it's going to feel different. It's going to look different as well. Um, and I'd be curious to see how how Fulham adapt. And I just I just get the sense it might be slightly quicker than they'd probably want Lukic to be thrown in. But you know, chance to make yourself a an yeah, exactly a hero. make yourself a hero, Sasha. This is your time. Yeah, sink or swim time. Please swim. Um, yeah, well, we'll see how we get on on Monday. Big game, big derby, and as Jack says, let's not lose. Right, we're going to take a break there. Afterwards, we're getting some of your questions. Then a quick round of this will catch on. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Let's get into some of your emails and questions. My first question actually is for you, Peter, and it's, I haven't had it on, um, on email or anything, but we did mention it in Monday's podcast. And I said, I will ask Peter that. Adrian Pagisiti, um, he's gone to FK Haugesund, uh, in Norway on loan, um, Fairly standard, not the kind of news that would massively raise an eyebrow. You know, youth player going on loan somewhere to get some minutes with an option to buy. That was a little bit surprising because I had a feeling that Adrian Pagasiti was kind of the, uh, in ascension of the line to the throne. He might be the kind of next after Luke Harris to get first team minutes. So to see him with an option to loan to a Norwegian side, um, with all, no disrespect to FK Haugesund, um, it seems surprising. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I enjoy watching Adrian Pajaziti. I think he's a really classy midfielder. Um, he's, yeah, I think he's. I think there's a real talent in there. Um, but I, th- I think there are a few things here. I mean, yes, there's an option to buy. Um, he's on loan for the year. I think there's a break in August, and I think at that point there'd be the chance to to recall if it's not working out. A, a lot of it comes back to the gap between the, what we see with the 21s and the Premier League. And, and the issue for Pagaziti at the moment is he's not getting a first team look in. Um, even now, even now, even even though the midfield feels a bit thinner than it has been for a while, particularly with, with Kearney being injured, uh, Palina being suspended, um, Ty Francois come back from, from Garika and he's, he's higher up the, the pecking order than Pagaziti is. He's not had... Um, Involvement. He was on the bench on that really youthful but um, traumatic experience at Crawley. I was going to say, uh, very, very few p- players proved themselves useful that night, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He could have done a I'll job that night. I would have wanted to see him on the bench. I remember thinking, like, this is the one player that I think out of all the youth players I want on the pitch. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so there's no question that he needs to play senior minutes. Um, he's 20 years of age. And we, we've talked about this with other players like Ty Francois, for instance, or Sonny Hilton, who get to a stage in their age development where they haven't got minutes. So he needs to play. The fact that it's Horgerson who have come in for him and, and that's where he's going probably tells you the level that he's seen at at this point, um, despite how, how is, he's seen more broadly. Um, and I suppose the option, the options there, I think for for a number of reasons. I think if he does exceptionally well, and, and suddenly Marco Silva thinks right, I think he has a place. I don't think they would want 
Pajaziti to go. And it's not like an obligation. It's not, it's not that Pajaziti can then just decide to go. It's just an option there if he thinks that's the best step for his career. And fundamentally, it's about that. What's the best way for him to progress? And that's, that's kind of the main role of the academy is to give these players careers. And if Pajaziti doesn't see a pathway and doesn't have a pathway, then having an alternative, one that can give Fulham potentially a financial reward down the line, is a good way to do. Now, no, I've just, as I said at the start, I've, I'm a fan of Pagetiti. I'm a little surprised as well myself, but that's kind of the thinking. I wouldn't be too sort of, oh my goodness, he's going to leave kind of sense. But if you're a player at his age and you're not currently pushing into the first team regularly, as you would probably want to be, you've got to start thinking more broadly. You've got to start thinking outside of, of the club because Fulham, it's not like when um, in the, in January... Um, Fulham was saying we were talking about right Fulham need another central midfielder it wasn't even entered into the conversation at all um, and that probably same conversation can happen again in the summer and if Fulham particularly are doing well and maybe there's extra games if they get to Europe I mean that still feels like a long way off but you never know um, then you could see more players come into your position how can you can you guarantee that you will play so there's, there's loads of things to to consider with it I think the the main thing is that he goes and he plays and he does well, um, and then yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes goes from there really. But I think the fact that since that Birmingham City appearance in the Carabao Cup, he's not then followed it up with more regular appearances suggests where where he's sort of at at the moment. So yeah, an interesting one. I don't think it was a straightforward loan decision. I think there was always that sense of whether he can try and just get back into the first team pitch. He would have been, he's been training with the first team, so it's not like it's. Um, come out of the blue but you've got to make a call for yourself at this point yeah no I think maybe the fact that he didn't start in that Crawley game was potentially a bit of an indication really because that really was a useful side and a lot of people got a chance that night um we'll we'll never forget the glow up of uh Issa Diop from from that night to uh to where he is now <laughs> what an evening that was um this question from Ollie M. Um, again, Peter, I think there's probably one uh, towards you. He says, hi, it would be great if you guys could clear up the topic of Solomon's contract. If my memory serves me correctly, Fulham had agreed to buy him for seven million. However, a new FIFA ruling meant that he could suspend his contract and join Fulham on loan. I remember reading that Shakhtar were very unhappy about this as the fee had been arranged. Fulham opted to take the loan deal as there was no upfront payment and this would help with FFP restrictions. However, I have never seen an article that confirms if we have an option to buy. With his performances so far this season, he is going to generate a lot of interest. He would have been a steal for seven million. Has Fulham's short-term thriftiness hurt our long-term goals here. Thanks for all your great work from Ollie. Uh, Peter was waving his hands about while I read that email. <laughs> I've written about this multiple times. Um, I do get asked about it a lot and it's because it's complicated and I appreciate not everyone subscribes and um, it's not one of those things that can just jump out in a tweet because it's a little bit longer than that. Um, so, uh, right, the, the long and the short of it, Solomon's on a, essentially a loan. It's a year-long contract because he suspended his contract with Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, which happened and was only possible because of FIFA regulations that came in in the end of June last year. Um, Fulham had been negotiating with Shakhtar for quite some time. Uh, I think I think Manor Solomon actually said recently that Marcus had been talking to him since winter in the championship season. So this is a, had been a long-standing interest. Um, Shakhtar Donetsk's uh, chief executive came out and revealed that they had come close to agreeing a fee of about seven and a half million euros, if I remember correctly. Um, however, once the uh, FIFA regulations came out that would allow foreign-based players in Ukraine to suspend their contracts for a year due to the ongoing Russian invasion, Palkin said that Fulham's offer was uh, withdrawn. And ultimately, Fulham then signed him uh, for free, for no fee, uh, by offering him a year-long contract. Um, that contract will end in the summer, uh, by which point his Shakhtar contract will revert and he will then have six months left on his deal at Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, so that will expire on December 31st. Uh, what this means is that if Fulham were wanted to keep him, and I'm pretty sure they will want to keep him, um, judging from his current form. I um, thought and- so. Seems sensible. <laughs> um, they would need to agree a fee. Yeah, <laughs> they'd need to agree with a fee with Shakhtar. Um, or, 
or they could negotiate a pre-contract agreement because uh, Solomon would be in the final six months of his contract. However, that would mean Solomon would then spend six months at Shakhtar between the summer and January, um, which I don't think is is an ideal situation, and I can't really see that happening. Um, of course, as, as I remember writing at the time, this this leaves leaves Solomon open to to explore other options. Um, he's not a Fulham player um, from the summer. Uh, until something is agreed, um, you know he's very happy in London. I've I've had that told to me. I mean, I, I wrote about this last week. It's he's really enjoying it at the club, um, and you can see that with his form. He's desperate to make an impression after his long injury spell. So Fulham are in a really good position um, to keep him. Um, however, you know the the intricacies of last summer do leave them a little bit vulnerable. Now, the the other factor, of course, is that the war hasn't ended. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what FIFA do about regulations in terms of foreign-based players again um, once we get to the summer um, and whether that actually means that he is then able to leave for free. And of course, this leaves Shakhtar in a really awful situation because they are losing a player with quite clearly immense ability for nothing. Um, and that, to be honest, feels pretty terrible um, for them. Um it's 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 brutal. I know that at the time that they were very unhappy with FIFA and, and the regulations. Of course, there was it, from a Fulham perspective, and we talked about this on the podcast. It was it's uncomfortable because of the situation that Shakhtar Donetsk find themselves in. Um, but the the flip side is that you know why would you pay seven million pounds or, or whatever it is when you can get something for free? And football is a brutal industry at times, and um, it's difficult. It's difficult. Um, but the long and the short. Solomon's situation um, is is that he's on loan essentially, essentially alone is how I've been describing it. Because uh, to go into that kind of detail every time is yeah. long winded. No, nope, I think that is cleared it up, um, and it, I guess there is a chance as well that um, Fulham will still pay Shakhtar some sort of fee, whether it's as much as seven and a half million euros um, remains to be seen. And uh, I'm hopeful that. Manor seems to be happy at Fulham, as you mentioned, and that he probably will sign, especially if Fulham, you know, have a good finish in the league, do well, he keeps scoring and stuff. It would be mad for him to then up and move, particularly when he's got a lot of years uh, left ahead of him. Uh, a couple more emails just quickly. This one from Paul Boisclair. I really enjoyed this. He says, good morning. Having just read your article on the worst ever Fulham signings, which is by Charles Jones. It was a very popular piece on the Fulhamish website. Is uh, It's a good one. Um, these obviously relate to the last 20 years or so, which is true. It's mostly recent signings. For those of us with longer memories, sadly, there is one player who stands head and shoulders above the rest as a complete disaster. Frank Large signed for a reported £50,000 as part of the deal that took the prolific goal scorer in a relegated side, Alan Clark, to Leicester. Large was hopelessly out of his depth in the then Division 2 and seemed unable at any time to make contact with the ball or even stand up. One of our best favourite ever players, Clark, replaced by our worst. If it wasn't Fulham, you wouldn't believe it could happen. Large managed three goals in 24 games for us. Kind regards from Paul Boisclair. So, um... Sorry, Frank Large, if you're listening, Paul Boisclair is not a fan of what you did at Fulham. Then again, three goals in 24 games. I think the statistics probably speak for themselves. Thank you very much for that one, Paul. Uh, and this one, which is fun, from Patrick Laker. He says, hi guys, uh, love the pod. I just spent the weekend sunning myself on the French Riviera. Unfortunately, I didn't bump into Joe Bryan. I made a discovery. As you will see from the attached, I found a beer with a different spelling, but the same sounding name as our midfield hero, Polina, and was wondering how much of a sway the pod slash fans of the pod would have in getting it stocked at the cottage. Would love to see pints of Polina being served and drunk on a match day. Food for thought and cheers from Pat. And uh, I'm just looking at the image now. <laughs> How's it spelled? <laughs> P-A-O-L-I-N-A. So it's kind of Polina. P-A-O or P-O-A? P-A-O. I'd say Paulina. Paulina? Is it French? I've just Googled it. No, I've just Googled it and there's a Thai restaurant called Paulina Thai near King's Cross. Yeah, well, I guess we I mean go that's, there that, as well the, before the, games. Yeah, 
It's uh, <laughs> that and the Serbian, that and the Serbian kitchen, the two and, and Willian's restaurant, of course. Um, there's lots of uh, culinary links to, to current Fulham players. Yeah, I mean, it's better than Camden Hells. I like it as a suggestion um, from Patrick Laker. And if I went to a bar and I saw Paulina effectively for sale, I'd definitely uh, grab myself a pint. And it looks like a nice pint as well. Um, it sounds it, like Patrick uh, had I'm a lovely some, weekend on the French Riviera. I'm doing some research. It's a speciality honey ale, blonde beer. Oh, there you go. It says yeah. flavors of Corsica and of the universe that the world envies us. It's Sorry, that's a it rough is, translation from their it, website. It is sort of French. I mean, obviously Corsica, Corsica is, is yeah. Corsica is a I wouldn't say disputed territory. That's probably a bit strong, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's French, French territory. Yes, let's leave I it. Should that, probably, actually. No, I should probably, I should, pro- I should probably know more with you my should, French degree, you, but I don't. You both should know more about this than me. You both have links to France. I, I, I don't claim any, uh, any francophone links. I didn't do Corsican studies when I was at university, sadly. Uh, Jack, I'd like uh, to get your thoughts on this. And apt given last night's game, Brendan Mazar emailed saying, which of the American players currently at Leeds are we most likely to poach if they go down? Brendan from California. Yeah, if if, if Leeds did um, face the drop, which I'm not 100% sure they will now. I like Javi Gracia as a a manager and they got a big win um, last Saturday. Um, But yeah, Leeds Leeds have been trying to take our full America tag off us this season a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's just not the same, is it? Um, To be fair, I thought that both McKenney and Adams looked very good at points last night. I like McKenney a lot. Didn't Tim Ream say in a podcast recently that he thought Weston was like tangentially linked with with Fulham? Sorry, this is me almost speculating a little bit without much knowledge. (laughs) Other than from Tim Ream's words on a pod. Yeah, I think he was linked uh, at one point. There was there was definitely links between McKenney and, and Fulham earlier on. I, f- I can't remember if it was last summer or the summer before, but there definitely were there definitely were links. I actually do think that much much as I like both of those players, even if Leeds were to go down, especially Tyler Adams, I think would probably become the bedrock on which they built a, a place to come back up. Um, but I think Brendan Aronson might be someone that Fulham would have an interest in, not because I think that he's absolutely brilliant in the way that I do with Adams and McKenney. I think both of them are excellent. Uh, but I actually think that as a number 10, it provided a lot of the same things that we get from Andreas Pereira. His, his work rate is excellent. He, you know, he leads the press at times. He's a little bit more of a dribbler rather than a passer, Aronson. But I wouldn't be averse to that at all as a rotator for Andreas Pereira. I think Aronson has the potential to be really quite excellent. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in, sold. I'll have Brendan Aronson. Yeah. Aronson and Pulisic. Let's like take our tie back. Let's take our tag back. I did tweet this last did night. Did you take Pulisic? Yeah, 100%. There were five five Americans on the pitch last night at one point uh, for the last 20 minutes, in fact. Is that an FA Cup record, do you reckon? Oof, great question. Great question. I think it's it be probably there, is. It's definitely right up in the mix. I don't know if we'll ever have seen that before. I did tweet at the FA Cup, but no one replied. So um, I'm still I'm still yeah. waiting for for clear up on that one. But yeah, I, I, I thought it was nice. It was good vibes. Yeah. I, I'd have all three of them for what it's worth. But I think that Aronson is probably the most gettable, if you will. Okay, time for a quick This Will Catch On. Um, this first one is from Brian DeHass. He says, Hi, Fulhamish crew. Really love the pod and appreciate all you do to create a community for us fans to stay connected with the team. I'm writing today because I think we can all agree it's time our hard-tackling DM has his own song and he deserves better than a Saliba chant rehash. So here are a couple I actually of- disagree with that, but, you know, we'll hear it on. Yeah. Thank you. I disagree too. But anyway, he says, The first is sung to the tune of Girl from Ipanema, and should ring out from the hammy end every time Polina executes a perfectly timed crunching tackle. The last line to be screamed as if you're in pain, just like the guy Joe, uh, Zhao just tackled. Uh, the second is to the tune Man Eater from Hall and Oates. Again, thanks for all you guys do. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Yes. Um, I haven't heard this in full yet, so this is going to be a bit of a surprise to me. Um, but I think it might be two songs in one. So uh, let's see what we get. Tall and fast and strong and deadly, a man named Zhao Polina loves tackling. And when he tackles, each one he tackles goes, ah! (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, here he comes. Watch out, boy, he'll tear you up. Whoa, here he comes. He's Zhao Polina. 
<laughs> that one's better. That one's better. <laughs> the first, the first one was a lot. <laughs> ah! <laughs> I can't see the hammy end singing ah. Um, <laughs> you never know. We do I, go your shit. Ah, that is true. That is true. Um, um yeah, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think either of them are gonna replace the Polinia tequila song, although I do like that version of Man Eater a lot. So maybe we can make that one work in the future. I just feel like the government of Panema is probably not going to stick on the terraces. But weirder <laughs> things have happened. Weirder things have happened. Um yeah yeah anyway the second one was good i enjoyed mania lots of fun good stuff uh, right this one is from justin rains he says good afternoon uh my brother he's the bdr version of the we've got seri chant guy and i were discussing how we need a song for the human brick wall that is isa diop uh, and you confirmed the need when mentioning that he and tete seemingly share a chant currently yeah. so my consideration is for the french filibuster uh, is it's a small world. <laughs> Thanks for all you do and keep it up. Come back to Texas so we can hang. I would love to come back to Texas, Justin. Doesn't look like it's on the cards, but you never know. So yeah, this is a song for Issa Diop to It's a, it's small, a small, small world. I love world. this song. Issa Diop at the back. Issa Diop in attack. <laughs> Turns you over, drives it on, proving David Moyes all wrong. There's <laughs> <laughs> one more time. Again. a D up at the back. It's a D up in attack. Turns you over, drives it on, proving David Moy's all wrong. <laughs> I hope that catches on. <laughs> I just love Justin. I just love how you've just shouted though. <laughs> it's the tone, isn't it? It's so triumphant. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to hear It's a Small World After All ever again. <laughs> You're going to Disneyland the next time you go. She's Absolutely <laughs> hooting is a deal up at the back. Fantastic. Through the small, small world. <laughs> Unreal. On those little like trains that drive you through it. Just me like absolutely yeah. leathering is a deal. Amazing. <laughs> Unbelievable. Great scenes. Enjoyed oh, that loads. Well done, Justin. Very good. Thank you, Justin. Oh, All right. That'll do for the Thursday yeah, Club I think today. I'll have to do. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Jack, what would you like to name the pod? Uh, I did love all of them, but I think nothing is going to beat Rich Campbell's Peaches and Ream. That was absolutely sensational. Brilliant. Well done. Very good, Rich. Love that. Love it. All right. Thank you very much for listening today. And thank you very much to my guest, Jack Collins. Thank you. No, thank you for having me, Sammy. A real pleasure. It's a deal up at the back. And Peter Rutzer, thank you. No, thank you for having me as always. All right. Uh, Fulhamish will return on Tuesday. Bit of a gap because um, obviously the game isn't until Monday. So we'll be back on Tuesday reviewing um, the derby uh, against Brentford from the GTEC. Please, Fulham, please just don't lose this one. Let's get another result against Brentford. That would be absolutely terrific. And then the Thursday Club will return this time next week uh, previewing the Arsenal game. That's uh, the next game coming up at Craven Cottage. But until then, have a great weekend, whatever you're doing without any Fulham uh, getting in the way. Come on, you whites. You whites. You whites.